Not uh, not bad for your first time. So. <laughs> oh my my my! It's um, it's so um, encouraging to see um, patriotism. It's so discouraging to not see it. It's um, it's one of those things that we. Um, we recognize and realize how blessed and fortunate we are, and we have a hard time comprehending why others can't see that. And so it can be a challenge for us at times when we see those who are uh, destroying, uh, deteriorating our country from within. And, um, and so uh, we always need to be mindful of the freedom that we have. And this fourth weekend, I think about the Constitution of the United States. It begins with these words, We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessing of liberty or freedom to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution through the United States of America. That's how it begins. The idea of six things that they sought to do in the establishment of the Constitution of the United States. And those six things begin with the First Amendment, which is established for freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of press, and freedom for their right to assemble. You get that? Our nation was founded on the pursuit of freedom. A desire to be free. As you think about the idea of freedom, the fourth is a day to celebrate and remember the freedom and the independence that our nation has because of the foresight of our forefathers and because of the sacrifice of many since then, to defend our freedom. As we think about that freedom, I think about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. The freedom that we have received because of the foresight of our Father in Heaven and because of the sacrifice, as Aaron mentioned earlier, of His Son, Christ Jesus. All that Christ did was done so that you and I might be free. That we might experience freedom. His birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, they're the process for us to receive freedom. As Christians, we are free. We are free from the guilt of sin because we have experienced forgiveness. We are free from the penalty of sin because Jesus died in our place. We are free from the power of sin because the Holy Spirit lives within us. We are free from the law because in Jesus the demands of the law have already been satisfied. When we begin to think about the freedom that we have and we are called into... Because we are called into His grace and His mercy, we are called into freedom. 
Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, turn there with me as we begin to read as Paul writes about freedom. This is what he says beginning in the very first verse. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Paul writes and he says, listen to that opening verse, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for this purpose, for us to live free, that He has freed us. He said He didn't free us for us to go back into the yoke of slavery. But rather He freed us so that we might continue to live in freedom. As He begins to communicate this truth about freedom, the next thing he says is this, so stand firm in it. What does that mean? What does it mean? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm in it. He's saying, stay in the freedom. Don't get knocked out of it. Don't get pushed out of it. Which indicates to me as I read that verse that there is someone or something or, or several someones who are trying to push us out of our freedom. When you were a kid, did you ever play a game called King of the Mountain? Huh? I grew up in West Virginia. We had mountains. Mountains right outside the door of back door of my house, right? And so we would gather as kids and we would climb this, this really wasn't a mountain, but a hill behind us. And it was, it was a pretty good hill. And then at the top of it, there was an old cemetery. And in that old cemetery, there was a pillar. It was a pretty good-sized pillar, but it had been deteriorated and torn up over the years. And it was only about three foot tall now. And we would climb on top of that pillar at the cemetery, and we would play the king of the cemetery. And the challenge is what? For anybody else that could to knock you off of the top of the pillar. And sometimes you got knocked down. And sometimes you didn't. But it was a struggle, it was a fight to stand firm and try to resist anyone who tried to knock us off of the pillar. Well, he says here that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm. Be the king of the mountain of freedom. In other words, don't let anyone or anything knock you away from that freedom that God has given us Through His Son, Christ Jesus. Stand firm in that. Be secure in it. Do not allow yourselves to be removed from it. So there are three things that I want us to see about that in this text this morning. The first one is this. Freedom that excludes the necessity to be justified by the law. That's what he was just talking about. 
He says, listen, don't put on the yoke of slavery again. He talked about law. And he said, if you think that you are going to earn God's grace or mercy or deserve God's grace or mercy by, by obeying the law, he said, you've already lost the battle. You can't win at that, he said. So don't let that yoke of slavery of the law enslave you again, ensnare you again, and hold you again to, to me trying to be good enough. To me going down and making a list of all of the things that I should do or I shouldn't do in life. And then trying to adhere to all of those things and do all of those things in my life. He said, that's, that's not freedom. The freedom that we have that comes in Christ Jesus is a freedom that, that allows us not to be enslaved by the law. Not to be held by the law. But, but in other words, to be free. It, to, to be able to live in Christ in a freedom, if we want to live by the law, trying to earn God's grace, then Christ, he says, is no benefit to us. What Jesus did on the cross and through His resurrection, He said, that's of no value to you if you're going to live by the law. So don't live by the law, He says. He says, live in freedom. It's not the obedience of the law on the outside that makes the difference. It's the presence of His love inside that makes the difference. And he said, be free. Set yourself free by, by living in Christ and not allowing yourself to be burdened again by law or obeying the rules that you have to obey. But live free in Christ. Second thing he says this. Freedom that fulfills the law. He picks that up in verse 7. We're going to read on in that chapter 5 and continue to look at what he says in relationship to this freedom that fulfills the law. You were running well. Listen to this. This is very important. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? In other words, he said, who knocked you off the mountain? You were doing a great job. And he said, all of a sudden, he said, you got knocked off the mountain. This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. He says, here's what's going on. You were running the race really well. You were doing a great job at living in your freedom. But something has gotten in your way. Something or someone has become a an obstacle for you, have knocked you off of that mountain that you were the king of in your freedom. And he says, and now you're wallowing in this, this indecision, in this struggle in your life. I don't often talk about movies because oftentimes there are things in movies that, that you don't want people to, to watch or to see. But there's a movie that I think really speaks to this area of life. It's a movie by the name of Seabiscuit. It's based off of historical events. I mean, it's, it's a real live thing that happened. But in the movie, there's the story of Seabiscuit. Charles Howard is a rags-to-riches story who always spoke about and toasted the future. Always talking about the future and dreams. 
until his world came crushing down. And one day his son, in an accident, lost his life. And through the grieving and the process of that, his wife left him. And then the time of these events unfolding is, is the stock market crashed. And everything that Charles had, he lost. And he was devastated. And he was down and, and he was depressed and he was discouraged. His whole world had crumbled around him. He, he was damaged and his heart was broken. There's a guy by the name of Tom Smith. Tom Smith is a horseman who'd been a horseman for a long time. And, and in regards to that, he was kind of being left behind with the introduction of the automobile, uh, with the rapid growth of cities and machinery, and he was left with no work, no future, and no hope. He was damaged, broken-hearted. There's a guy by the name of Red Pollard. Red becomes the, the jockey for Seabiscuit, and we find that he was abandoned by his family when he was young because they were so poor in the midst of the Depression, and they could not afford to take care of him. And, and so he's been walking around with this anger inside of him because his family has abandoned him. He, he was, was good at being a jockey, but he was too tall and too heavy and, and too big to do the job, really. And so he had anger because the one thing he enjoyed and the one thing he felt he was good at, he couldn't do because of his size. And so he walked around and he always wanted to fight the world because he was struggling within. He was, he was damaged and broken hearted. And then of course there's Seabiscuit. Seabiscuit is a horse that that when he was found had been trained to let other horses beat him. He had been abused and he was small and he had the little horse syndrome and he had an attitude. Nobody wanted to deal with him. Nobody wanted to care for him. And suddenly these four individuals found themselves knitted together in the story. And in the process of the story, these individuals were hurting hurting and, and broken and they were struggling in life with little hope. But as the story progresses, it opens in this scene and, and Red Pollard is riding Seabiscuit. I love this scene. It's, it's, it's so, so interesting to me. And it's his first really big race. And, and he and, and Mr. Smith, Tom Smith, they, they had a plan of how he could win the race. And he's in the midst of the race and, and things are going well and the plan is developing just like they, they thought it should. And, and then this other jockey kind of bumps into him. And, and he fouled him, is what that's called in horse racing. And, and so he decided to show this jockey just what they had, and he pushed Seabiscuit too early and cost them the race, and they lost. Well, they go back to the stables, and at the back side of this, uh, suddenly they begin to have a conversation. And uh, in the conversation, Smith is angry, Tom Smith is angry, Red Pollard is angry, they're all struggling, and he says, what were you thinking? And Red clearly says, frustrated, he replies, he says, he fouled me, what did you want me to do, let him get away with it? And Smith says, well, yeah, he's a 40 to 1 odds, why did you let him disrupt your race? Why did you let him get in the way of what we had planned and what you were going to... Red couldn't believe what he said. And he said, hey, he almost put me in the rail. Smith very calmly says, well, did he? Which the answer was no, he hadn't. 
And then as, as the young red Pollard just began to, to anger back and to say, He fouled me! Would you want me to let him get away with this? He fouled He keeps going. And, and finally, you know, the, Tom Smith looks at him older and wiser and he says, Hey, hey, what are you so angry about? What is it that has caused you to be so angry? We had a plan and you let someone disrupt our plan. Paul writes and he said, you were doing really well. You were running the race fantastically. Who got in the way? Who knocked you off course? What hurt has come in your life? What damage has happened in your life? What event, what circumstances have caused you to lose your direction? Caused you to lose your faith? Caused you to lose the freedom? That I gave to you. What, what has happened in your life? And as we look around today, you know, I, I know we struggle. We struggle with these things. And, and we struggle with the idea that, that we've been hurt, or we've been damaged, or we've been offended, or some event has happened, or some unfortunate thing, or some circumstance in our life. And Paul writes and he says, why do you let those things get you off track? Why do you let those things move you out of the direction that you were going? You were running really well. What happened? Why, why did you allow yourself to be distracted? He says, listen, the greatest thing that we can do, the greatest thing to fulfill the law, is to love your neighbors, you love yourself, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's how we live in freedom. So we love other people. And we treat other people the way that we would like to be treated. We care for other people the way we would like to be cared for. And we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And he says, and this is the whole law. And there's freedom in living that way. He says, you are free to love others and care for them and meet needs in their life. Freedom that leads us to live by the Spirit not by the flesh. If we pick up in verse 16, he continues with this theme of the freedom that allows us to live differently than the rest of the world. So, picking up in verse 13, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care, lest you can be consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So he's referring back to this devouring and how we treat one another. And he says, those are fleshly things. That if, if we allow the flesh, just like Red Pollard, we get angry, and in that anger we strike out and we do so. He says, if you allow the flesh to control you, he said, you're going to have a problem. But he says, I say to you, walk by the Spirit and, and do not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit. You hear that? Our flesh and the Spirit are at odds with one another. We have to be aware of that constantly in our life. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are free. Get that? Understand that? Now, the deeds of the flesh 
are evident, which are, and he lists 15 things there. We're not going to read all of those things this morning for the sake of time, but understand that there's a list that these are the desires of the flesh. And if we allow the flesh to control us, we're going to live those things out. So look at them, because some of those we, we think are not that significant, but they really are significant. And he talks about strife, jealousy, outburst of angers, dispute, and dissension, factions, divisiveness. I think we look at those and we go, well, you know, we're not as concerned about those things. Now, when he starts talking about this, you know, immorality and impurity and sensuality, idolatry and sorcery, oh, oh, those are bad things. When he starts talking about drunkenness and carousing, oh, those are bad things. But, but when he's talking about envy, oh, come on now, right? So when he's talking about jealousy or getting angry or having disputes or divisiveness, see, we don't think those things are so bad. Well, guess what? Paul writes and he says they all go together. And they're all actions of the flesh. If we carry those things out in our life, he says, then we're just fulfilling the desires of the flesh. He says, but listen to what he says in verse 21. He says, and things like these. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things... Listen, folks, this is so critical for us to hear as believers. Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We can't live in the flesh. If we live in the flesh, he says, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to live in the freedom the Spirit of which God has called us to live by His grace and His mercy. But the fruit of the Spirit, he says... Now he said, here's the other side, right? So, so this is what should be coming out in our life. Not those other things that we're talking about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. We're not under the law. We're in freedom. And there's no law against these things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. He says, listen, we must live in a freedom that leads us to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We must be controlled by the Spirit of God and the power of God living within us. And he says that if we do not do that, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Do you understand the significance of that? The fact that He is telling us that if we don't live the way that God designed for us to live, we do not have an inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, so this morning what I want to encourage you with is understanding that we live in freedom. A freedom that has been given to us by God, purchased through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He calls us to live in that freedom. But he says, in order to live in that freedom, we have to recognize that we're free. In order to live in that freedom, we have to live according to the truths of his word. And that simply means this, allowing the Spirit of God to lead us and guide us and direct us. Not allowing the flesh to control us. Not allowing the, the flesh to knock us off of our pedestal of the king of the heel. Of the king of the freedom in which Christ has called us to live. And he says in relationship to that, we must surrender ourselves to the will of God, to the person of God, to 
to His plan. And we must be obedient to the leading of the Spirit in our life. And if we are not, then He says, that's who knocked us off the pedestal. That, that's who kept us from running our race the way God intended and planned for it to be run. Yeah, He might foul us. Yeah, He might almost knock us into the rail. But He says, keep your eyes on the goal. Keep your eye on the plan. Keep your eye and your heart attuned to the Spirit of God. And allow Him to lead you into your freedom, into His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness. And live a life that is free because of the grace of God and the mercy of God. Well, this morning we're going to offer an invitation to Him. And perhaps... As you've been listening to the message this morning or some other portion of the service, that there's been a decision in your heart, something that has motivated or encouraged you that, that I need to live differently. I, I allow too much of the world and too much of the flesh to lead my direction versus the Spirit of God. I want to change that. I, I want to get more in tune with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and allow God to lead me so that I might live in that freedom. I 